0: Hi, I'm Marnie, and welcome to Dwelling. In the final episode of this series, we're taking a deeper look into how people are finding home through intentional communities, creating security and autonomy without that white whale of home ownership. When you think of home, what do you think of?
1: I mean, home is probably partly about the people. Um, I mean, I live in the basement, so I I hear people's footsteps quite a lot. Maybe it's my housemate singing. She's got a really lovely voice and, uh, yeah, she, like, works a ridiculous job. She does 14 hours a day, but, um, sometimes, uh, but, like, yeah, when she's awake and at home, um, so knowing that I can go into the kitchen and that there's probably someone's brought something home from work, um or, you know, there's the a cooked meal on a plate with my name on it because someone knew that I was coming home late. Community is something
0: that can be hard to find. Feeling isolated is something that is becoming increasingly familiar in a city that is growing denser with people by the day. And housing and home has a role to play in this. Short-term lets, lack of housing security, needing to move as rents increase rapidly, it all contributes to a system where we don't know our next-door neighbours. But as I began to search for co-ops and communes, I began to find more and more pockets of people, actively working to not just build homes for themselves, but create active communities. There's a lot of jargon when you type in intentional communities, housing co-ops, so I sought expert advice.
2: OK, so I'm Levin Caramel from Community-Led Housing London. Um, we're a small support advice mentoring service um to community led housing groups so that's uh, communities who want to create their own homes together community led housing is where people take a leading and lasting role in the provision of their own homes it covers there is a
0: whole world of community led housing but for this episode, we're focusing on housing co-ops, and they're founded on three principles. Three
2: points: one is that communities are engaged in the development. Secondly, that I think probably quite crucially that the community group or organisation has a formal role in the ownership, management, or maintenance. And finally, that any benefits are protected in perpetuity. So, um, where there is affordable homes, that those stay affordable in perpetuity. So, in the long term. It could also be other kind of social or community benefits, um, and there's a there's a kind of a uh, desire to keep those kind of locked in legally, formally within the scheme. I think one of the, the, the key unique um, point about community housing for me is the empowerment of residents. So. On a tradition if you imagine a kind of traditional setup you've got a developer providing houses for people and they're on the receiving end um, you've got a landlord be that a private landlord or a housing association or a council providing housing for tenants who are on the receiving end and i think community-led housing kind of almost puts that on its head and says okay the residents are the developers, the residents are the landlords. Definitely there's a strand of it which feels a lot like what we might call collective ownership. Mm-hmm. So the ownership of the home doesn't belong to the individual family, it belongs to the collective you know, housing cooperative. And yes, those individual members are tenants of the cooperative, but they're also their own landlords. So mm-hmm. it feels a lot like they sort of collectively own all of those homes. I, I think what key, many of them were set up in the um, 80s, you know, starting from the 70s, there's a the history linking them back to the um, squatting movement. Many of those turn, turned into carps, and When
0: people think of co-ops I think the image was, that yeah. most people have in their minds is not dissimilar to a commune, but I'm guessing what you're not thinking about is this. Can you hear me? Should I turn that off a bit? I can't really hear me. Okay, there we go. Um, So, Delilah and I cycled down to the South Bank over Blackfriars Bridge. And I actually love the South Bank. It's one of the only places in London that I actually feel like I'm in London. Um, You know, we can see St. Paul's and MI5 and the Oxo Tower. and. Underneath the Oxo Tower is actually one of the biggest co-ops in England and definitely the biggest co-op in London. And the amazing thing about it is a lot of the South Bank you walk along um, is part of the co-op. The businesses help to fund it. There's social housing right in the city centre, which feels extraordinary. And everything about down here is so swanky. I just can't believe there's a co-op here. Um, You know, I can see the River Thames looking sort of kind of brown and unappealing, but I just honestly think it's one of the most fantastic places. It literally looks like it's on a postcard.
3: Yeah, I'm Ian Tuckett. I work for Coin Street Community Builders. I've been involved now for nearly 40 years in uh, Coin Street. Well, Coyne Street came out of a campaign uh, back in the 1970s, 1980s where the local community only was made up of about 4,500 people. When I first moved into the area in the 1970s it was oh, it was grey. At the weekend there was no one around. You know, I went into the local Pampure you know, the doors, you opened it. And, you know, there'd be three ex-dockers decks would turn round to look at you. And it was really weird. And the problem with that huge loss of population, which was driven by planning policy, which, you know, wanted to see the area become the city in the West End, not a residential area, was... All the shops closed all the schools closed and it was becoming impossible for people bring up families Um, and so the feeling was if we managed to get more housing built then we would be able to make the area one which people could live in as well and uh, the first co-op that I was involved in uh, was at the bottom of the street I lived in and it's been going 40 years now, Hatch Row.
0: And I'm curious because when you first started thinking about like, because you basically got to build your own community from scratch and I'm wondering like what it was that you were looking for and I don't so much means in terms of like the physical space but in terms of, like, the the experiences of the people who were going to live there.
3: We were part of the community that lived around, and um, it was, you know, very active. Uh, You know, we had community newspapers, we had an action centre, all sorts of stuff going on. And, you know, that is part of a community where people meet each other and it's easy to meet each other And but very much we envisaged that it would be family based and a stable community our ideal was a mixed community but predominantly a stable one where people stuck around got to know each other and it was a sort of place where you could easily do that. And it has grown and, and, um, you know, now you have uh, babies from three months old in the nursery um, through to youth groups, um, mixed intergenerational stuff.
2: I think for me, those are the kind of key things. It's about how the homes are owned and run and managed. There will be all sorts of other benefits that people are trying to achieve through community led housing, including affordability, including what it's like to live there. Um, Some people come at it with kind of more environmental objectives or thinking about the physical and spatial arrangements. Or perhaps it's about some some groups. um, It turns out, you know, ownership might not be the key thing, but it's really about control over the management and maintenance of the homes. So if you're your own landlord, maybe you can get your repairs done properly, and that's the real day-to-day experience. And I think it kind of comes down to back to that point about control and empowerment, and controlling what matters most to you.
0: I can carry one of the one of the teas if, yeah. if that's easy. All right,
1: if you're able to.
0: It's so nice that you have a dog.
1: Yeah, actually two. Oh, what's the other one called? The other one's called Timmy. Mm.
4: Timmy is a tiny...
0: This is Sim. I travel down to Brighton to meet her in a beautiful terraced house covered with plants. Sim is part of out-of-town housing co-op. She's softly spoken, but she takes me around the house, you can watch the warmth and pride radiate off her as she introduces me to a couple of her housemates. We meet the dog and walk through a lush garden that feels like it's out of a storybook with a swing and a fire pit. I take with me an industrial-sized quantity of audio kit, and of course, none of it worked. So we set up my phone on a pile of books in her outhouse to speak.
1: That's <laughs> where we're gonna sit, so we can look at it. I've kind of lived in Brighton for eight, eight or nine years, I think, now, um, but I've only lived in this house for three. Over three years now. So there are nine people who live in this house, and um, actually the cops got two houses. So there are six people in the other house. So fifteen in total. So I suppose it's like um, more shared than your average shared house. Say if say if we had a vacancy and someone needed to move in, they'd need to like meet all of us, um, and like uh, you know we'd have to get them get to know them be- before they they moved in, um, and that kind of continues while we're living here, like. You know, the culture of, like, trying to have dinner every day together and cooking, like, collectively, um, you know, do, doing our, our groceries together. Can I just say I love not having to do my groceries just for myself every week. <laughs> I love that we can bulk buy and just, like, have a cellar where we can stock stuff. <laughs> but I love that kind of, you know, collective effort. And it is also challenging, absolutely like when you move into a shared house there's no guarantee that you're going to get on with everyone i guess one of the benefits is that it feels like we're holding stuff together like nothing is just falling on one person and you know i am thinking about my housemates welfare and so when conflicts come up and they do um we can talk as a house about how to address it and we can you know pay for mediation um because you know we have got a bit more purchasing power and we have got a bit more like you know emotional capacity for each other can you um, imagine having a conflict and paying for mediation
0: also i don't want to oversell co-ops because like any form of home they have good sides and bad sides but when a vacancy came up recently the rent was 375 pounds Three hundred and seventy five pounds. The change. average rent for a one bed in Brighton is over a yeah. thousand. Yeah. And also I mean, because there's obviously a significant amount of community that goes into it, but also I was I was amazed when we were walking through the house that everyone has like I guess things that you wouldn't get in a rented house, like the like the the plunging pool or the the chest freezer yeah yeah,
4: yeah.
0: or like a dog <laughs> <laughs> like these really simple uh-huh, things that uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> yes. like aren't aren't possible in rented housing
1: yeah it feels quite empowering yeah I just I walk into rented houses now and I've really noticed the like bare walls and lack of furniture like this this space that we're in right now is an extension to the side of the house um that like One of my ex-housemates was setting up a company or or another co-op and wanted to work from here. And so like he literally built quite a lot of this, Um, like being able to put up shelves um, and just like paint um, the walls. If there is something that's going to be beneficial for the house, then we can probably do it. You know, we have like monthly work days where we try and work on maintenance things together together. and they they sometimes happen, they sometimes don't happen. Um, But, like, the principle remains, and we do have, like, um, at the moment we're doing maintenance meetings because we got a remortgage for the house because we decided that we wanted to improve the energy efficiency, so now we're going to get solar panels, and that's literally just because we made a decision in a general meeting to it. I spoke to the bank, and, you know, there's plenty of admin involved, but it was, you know fairly easy because we have this asset that we can borrow against that we could borrow like 20 grand to put solar panels and i think that's cool yeah i think what i'm trying to say is like i feel quite confident um in like you know i I could probably stay here as long as i wanted to as long as i you know kept contributing and yeah uh But but I want to, you know, I want to, like, contribute to this project, so I do.
0: I think it's safe to say that as a culture, we're fairly obsessed with home ownership. Since the selling of council houses in the 1980s, owning your own home hasn't just been a way to find home, but an aspiration that meant security. I'll admit I've spent my fair share of time scrolling through Rightmove, dreaming about a life where the weight of finding home wasn't on my shoulders. And I could repaint my kitchen bright pink just because I thought it was fun. It's a challenging concept to think, okay, well, I'm going to have a house and I'm going to be responsible for it, but it's not going to be, like, under my ownership.
1: Mm. That makes sense? Yeah, well, I mean, I think when we're buying houses, we're looking for housing security. Like, that's the thing that you just don't find when you're renting. And if if you look at other countries, um, you can have that housing security when you're renting as well. Like, better renting protections are absolutely um, the, like, kinds of... Um, people who I work alongside. Unfortunately, in this country, kind of under <laughs> the political climate that we live in, you just are, are, are not very likely to have housing security unless you own your house. And that's a really sad thing to realise. Um, but through housing co-ops, yeah, I've got housing security.
2: So I, I, I guess once you're in a co-op, there's no real reason to leave unless you really need to. That does mean some of the ones that were set up in the 80s that have just had people staying there and it gives them what they need. Um, so why would you leave? Um, it gives you the kind of a control and the responsibility that you would have if you were owning a home directly yourself.
0: Cheap rent, built-in community, security. As I dug into these projects, there was something utopian about them. Being able to create homes as you see fit, using it not just as a roof over your head, but to create societal change. So my question is, why aren't more people doing it?
3: I think if you live in a co-op, you are fortunate in that you are getting fantastic housing in the centre of London. You know, you can walk most anywhere, but it comes with responsibilities and it's quite a lot of work
2: there are a whole load of barriers um which i think we spend quite a lot of our time trying to work through the system and trying to find ways through on some levels if you think about it you know these are startup organizations with no real assets often that you know they won't have a huge amount of money to start off with they won't necessarily have a huge amount of technical knowledge and they are trying to do something that's a you know a little bit unconventional still compared to the normal approach so we've got a number of groups that kind of typically approach their local council and say we'd like to do this mm-hmm. and depending on the council the reaction might be well why should we help you when we've got thousands of others on our waiting list but this is in the context of them of councils trying to do their own affordable housing delivery and then you've got the wider private market, which is really quite difficult to engage in unless you've got you know, significant amounts of money to, to begin with. And, and if you do, then again, the conventional thing is, why would you own collectively if you can own individually? I don't think they get enough
3: support. Enough it does take a lot of time. You've got all okay. sorts of fire safety, okay. and you fire. name it
2: a Complete uh, kind of mind shift that kind of seeded in some places. This the way things are done, um, so you might need to do just the to get a little bit of grant funding. any systems of regulation, regulation up to around what um, you quite do. A do the changes. 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 At the moment, it's partly the wonderful thing about the sector is there's such diversity in approaches and different kinds of affordable products and people trying to innovate in lots of different ways, but. Um, that can get very confusing and if as, as a kind of someone entering into it, it can be quite bewildering and, um, and none of those are clearly mapped out in a way that you know will result in a home. Mm. So you could be looking at several years.
0: So yes, a striking reality became apparent. Housing co-ops are hard to set up and housing co-ops are hard work. Sim had been trying to set up a co-op for three years prior to moving into out of town. And although they were ultimately successful, it was work done not knowing if that would ever happen. Because it sounds like you've been through like quite a lot of like time and effort to end up in a housing co-op. So what kept you at it? What kept you going through also quite a lot of admin?
1: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Well, I guess like I find them quite inspiring as like a model that you can sort of do on your own. Like for most young people these days, it's just not really going to be affordable to buy a house. Um, and like even renting, you know, you have to put up with so much. Um, why not be able to have control of your house as well um, as like just paying for, you know, the costs that need. To- Um, be paid for so like about two-thirds of my rent gets spent on mortgage costs and the rest you know we all know exactly where it goes it goes in insurance and in house maintenance and um, traveling to meetings and conferences and you know I feel fairly like responsible for my housing situation and I, I love that kind of autonomy but I mean I think like On a bigger level, like, more systemically, I think that organising through co-ops is, um, quite, like, revolutionary. Um, you, you sort of can, like, not be having to work for someone else or do a thing that is, like, so much of the property market is so speculative and, like, um, profit driven and I, I just don't think that it should be I think that you know you don't just have to use housing as an asset that is financialized that you know you make money off of um and so I like the idea that I can and I can help others to set up and live in um co-ops around the country like that's just quite a driving factor for me I guess.
3: I think that what has really changed, planning, you know, it used to be a thing of thinking about an area, its different uses, and we know it's over time made huge mistakes, you know, um, all the cars. When we first um, got involved, all that developers wanted in this area was offices housing was a complete no-no and we got criticized at the first inquiry uh, because they said well no family is going to want to live in the middle of this town and you know when we said and actually it's going to be social housing they said well I mean they'll leave their motorbikes out in the front gardens, they'll hang their washing from the balconies. I mean, you wouldn't credit what was said, but actually it's really important to have a mixed community. You know, I'm a great believer in planning, but what has happened with it a bit, so local authorities very much have been pushed by government to make their money out of development rather than getting central government grants and the result of that is they tend to say do whatever you want, build as high and as wide and as um, whatever, we just want the money and that is no way to do planning. The whole basis of planning is to plan from a community public perspective. You know, this is a world where we are all going to have to change um, to move towards dealing with climate change. And one of the changes is not just to demolish old buildings, um, but, you know, to refurbish them, keep the structure and rebuild. About 50% of a, a building's carbon footprint is, takes place during its construction so it really matters you know now looking around what do we want to do in the future um, we're looking at much improving you know Benisbane Spain Gardens a lot more planting the sort of level of flowers and so on that you can only have if you're managing it with a lot of community volunteers and support. Home is more than a house. It's a whole community for me. I think you're talking to someone from one of our co-ops later on, so you know she can give her own uh, ideas.
0: Coin Street is built for families. And it's predominantly social housing, so it's people who otherwise would not be able to afford to live in central London. I mean, who can, really? After speaking with Ian, it left me with a question. What was it like growing up in a co-op? So my next interviewee walked in, small and quietly assured.
4: Oh, okay. I quite like reading graphic novels, but I read a lot of other stuff too. Mm. Like... Um, biographies Biographies? Yeah What kind of people? Mm, like inspirational people like Michelle Obama I like one of her books sometimes
0: And what is it like living in Coin Street?
4: Well I really like it since the neighbours are really nice And you have a good view on the balcony Well they're really nice when they say hello And, I use, and I'm friends with some of the children there Well, like, Queen Street's really nice because there's a lot of options to do when you're bored. Like, you're not really bored when you live in a car because you've always got things to do. Um, People are really nice here, friendly. I go to um, Columbia a lot and Queen Street here on Mondays for, like, Homework Club. And they're really helpful there because they help you with homework. (laughs) (laughs) Meet a lot of nice people too different people
0: so you've how long have you lived in coin street
4: quite a while until like maybe like five
0: yeah mm-hmm. yeah so quite a long time yeah so obviously like growing up in a co-op is not the way that everyone everyone grows up mm. and I was wondering so if you were an adult and you had to look for a home right now what would you want it to look like
4: I would really like maybe quite a bit of bedroom so my family can stay over. Yeah. I'd definitely have lots of pets. <laughs> I really want a pet tortoise and cats.
0: And what would, your, what would you want your home to feel like if you got to choose it for yourself? Mm. Like to
4: feel like as in.
0: Yeah, so like how
4: would you like to feel when you come home? Well, like, I wouldn't want to feel alone, because like, I'd have lots of... Wouldn't want to be all alone, because I've got pets and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I'd really like a nice... Like, not too bright, but... Like, like a nice sunny room, maybe? Like, yellow walls or something. That'd be nice, because like, it makes you feel like more warm, I guess more like happy when you see the colour yellow
0: <laughs> and is there anything that you sort of like worry about when you think about housing in future
4: well I'm worried it might be a bit expensive since like prices are going up a lot so and lots of people can't really afford rent at the moment so I'd like a good job like a doctor maybe <laughs> but they're not being paid enough lately but I really want to help people when I'm older so
0: so, so a couple of questions I've been asking everyone is, so I've been speaking to all kinds of people who live on, like, vans and boats, and I'm asking them what they think is important to feel at home. So, like, what is makes you feel, like, most safe mm. and most, like, you can be yourself and do anything you want.
4: Yeah, because, like, I wouldn't feel safe in a community where people aren't nice or... You know where they just ignore you all the time um i'd be i, w- I wouldn't think it would be a home if i wouldn't know anybody there
1: yeah no absolutely i guess it's kind of about like taking power into our own hands and realizing that we can do that we can create social change um even just as individuals or collectives of you know, 5, 10, 15 people, um, like, collectively we have kind of built this, um, co-op over, you know, a decade, 15 years, um, and absolutely, like, together we, we, we can, like, pull off, um, a strike action or a demonstration or, like, really, concretely, like, support someone who's been wrongly arrested, or is unwell, um, I think all of us, like, can see, um, through living in the house, that, like, and through making decisions together, that we can do that on other scales and other spaces as well. Speaking with Sim, and
0: actually speaking with everyone over the course of this series, has reminded me that given a little bit of time or resource, people can not just create a wonderful space for themselves, but it enables you to go out into the world and pour your time and energy into whatever it is that is meaningful to you. But although the people I've spoken to have been carving out their own spaces, the fact is that they are small pockets in a country of people that is struggling to create home. And these alternatives take time. Even though a lot of the ways we've spoken about are cheaper than renting, you need to have the luxury of time. To do your research, to keep up with the admin, keep abreast of the changing laws, whatever. And not everyone has that luxury. I struggle to think about how to end this series, what the final note should be, because to be honest, it can be really bleak. The housing system in this country is undeniably broken, and it can get so complicated. So I'm not going to talk about what it is now, or make up solutions, I'm just going to say what I know. Over the course of this series, I've been asking all of my interviewees what home means to them, what does it feel like? Everyone has different answers, little things that turn their dwelling into a home. But actually, what people wanted wasn't extravagant or complicated. At the end of the day, what people want from home is quite similar. They want to be able to change their space to suit them.
2: You do really rapidly start to kind of build your own little culture, somewhere like that.
0: They want to know that they have a community around them.
4: I, w- I wouldn't think it would be
0: a home if
4: I wouldn't know anybody, there.
0: They want to feel safe. Knowing that everything's OK, yeah. And it is that simple.
4: Thank you for listening to
0: this series. I want to firstly say thank you to my interviewees who I've spoken to over the last six months everyone who let me in for a cup of tea or just met up over Zoom I want to say thank you to Tom Bett for listening to all of the episodes giving feedback on each one and listen to me witter on about ideas and sound design and panic that I was never going to finish I want to say thank you to everyone at the Roundhouse and Transmission who help make this project possible so thank you to all of those people you can also find a whole list of resources that I use to research and write dwelling in the show notes below thank you for listening you can still follow us on social media at dwelling underscore pod where we'll be keeping up to date with everyone who I've spoken to powered by transmission roundhouse